Hello everybody and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today, because today oh. we are recapping House of the Dragon Season 1 has just wrapped with Episode 10, I believe it was called The Black Queen. Uh, that episode yeah. aired just last night, and here we are on Monday afternoon recording the episode probably release it the next day we'll see how fast i can edit but we are hot off of the release of this episode we have not talked about like the last half of these episodes right so wasn't the last time we talked those about the early years yeah our last episode on right. house of the dragon was that remembering the early years of, right about pre-time skip and all mm-hmm. the recasting so <clears throat> i mean we have episodes on the first and second episode of house of the dragon and then we have the remembering the early years so i imagine this one we're going to be more focused on the later years but we'll try to take a view a bird's eye view of the whole season and discuss our thoughts Mm -hmm. and charles you and i we haven't discussed the most recent episode we've just had a couple text exchanges really about previous episodes Mm -hmm. so I think this should be a relatively fresh discussion. I agree. This is curious to hear some of your thoughts, Dylan. I had read a tweet you'd put out earlier, so I kind of know your overall feelings, and I think we share those feelings. But uh, yeah, do we need a spoiler warning at this point, you think? We yeah, may I'll as well give one. Give one. Anyway. Yeah, we may as well. Right. So if you haven't yet watched the entirety of season one of House of the Dragon, then... Uh, we're going to be spoiling all of it, or at least oh, yeah. we're not going to hold back when it comes to spoilers with mm-hmm. all that first season. We won't be getting into the book stuff. We haven't read the books, so you're safe when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you haven't yet watched the first season of House of the Dragon, now's probably a good time to go watch it. A great yep. season. And. Turn this down in your headphones before you do because, uh, yeah, you don't want to get all those awesome events spoiled for you. Well said, Dylan. And now here we are at the end. There was so much speculation leading up to the release of the show. It's like, is it going to be good? Do people even want more Game of Thrones universe content with season eight of Game of Thrones? Just that bad that... We could never love another Game of Thrones thing ever again. And I I think we can both confidently say that, yes, we can. There's plenty of room in our hearts. There isn't enough uh, to fill that room of love for this new show, House of the Dragon. And just the whole Game of Thrones universe just feels so exciting and alive again. And I'm super happy to get into the meat of our discussion of the episode. Yes, we can say that we're ready to love the Game of Thrones universe again, and so can 20-some-odd million people per episode, I believe. <laughs> I know, it's insane. It's like right. <laughs> no contest. That, that Everyone is just back and ready for this. Right. And can I note, Charles, uh, the listeners can't see this, but you're wearing black. 
and I'm wearing green. Oh my god! So we do have a green versus black situation <laughs> playing out here, <laughs> right in front of you us. Know, it wasn't Although until you just said that, Dylan, but right. I see it now, and it's totally true. Um, yeah. I mean, do you know what color the high towers um, light their ba- <laughs> light their lanterns when they call their bannermen to war, Dylan? <laughs> Ah, jeez, that's going to be a tough one. It was only explicitly explained to me like three times over the course of watching House of the Dragon. But I'm going to, it's got to be either black or green here because that's what (laughs) led us to this discussion. And I'm just going to say green, final answer, Charles. And your answer is correct. That is right, as confirmed by uh, Lair Strong. That is indeed the color that the high towers light their whatevers. (laughs) When they're calling their banners to war, it is green. And uh, yeah, and that was prophetic, if you will, because now there's an actual war started here, it seems like. It's hard to just kill one of your enemy's kids and not expect a war to kind of follow after that. So um, here we are. Blacks versus greens. I'm wearing black. You're wearing green. And... um, we're in it. I'm wondering. I'm just to, let's just get some fun questions going because this just came into my head. Do you find yourself siding with the greens or the blacks any way in particular, or if you had to pick a side? I mean, no, you're you're green. you're you're House Baratheon, okay? They're both coming to you I right am? now. Which one oh, do you pick? Okay. You know, uh, you've, yeah. you've got just both courting. Being placed in a hypothetical. Well, who's going to marry my daughters, Charles? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> that so. is true. The Hightowers know how to negotiate deals, but let's just take the deals off the table, and now you have to choose which side you're going to have to align yourself with here. Do you find yourself leaning a particular way at this point? I do slightly lean toward the Blacks, just mm. because I'm, I'm in a place with Otto Hightower where I'm like, Get, get this guy out of here. He's great acting, by Fantastic. the way. And yeah, just phenomenal um, phenomenal character writing, I think. Some of the best scenes include him. Yeah. But he is he is just a snake. I didn't realize it would be this intense with his ambition at the start of the show. I thought he would be one of the good guys, but leans slightly toward the ambitiousness. But this right. guy, he reminds me of Littlefinger in the sense of mm. his sheer ruthlessness toward getting what he wants. Maybe Tywin is actually a better comparison because I think he does care about family and legacy and those kind of things instead of just himself. Mm-hmm. But he's he's up there with those kind of characters who are so ambitious that we have to say that they're... If not evil, then they're they're part of the bad guys. Um, I I do. You almost compare him to Tywin sometimes. I'm like, how does like Tywin is more overtly evil, and he's done a lot more evil stuff. What I like about Hightower one, his presence is always incredible. But you almost kind of buy into the fact that he's this like level headed like what's the right thing to do and let's do that what's the logical practical thing to do and let's do that but then like the more of the actions that he does the more you're like oh he really is just 
you know, grabbing for power at a certain point. Because for a while, you're like, oh, he's a level-headed guy. He's telling Allison, you either beg for mercy or you fight her. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, that's, you know, at least he's given her the option. But then it's like, he never planned for her to make the choice to beg for forgiveness for Renera. He always planned to for this war to happen. So it's interesting to see his actions kind of speak differently than his presence sometimes. I've enjoyed watching that. Mm, well said, Charles. He definitely gives off a lot of those Tywin vibes. And we see we see him for what he is when Viserys dies and unbeknownst to the the reigning queen here, <laughs> Alicent, he's just set up this whole coup that's going to take place uh, where they're going to put Aegon on the throne. So it wouldn't have even mattered the whole the whole mix-up with right. Alicent hearing the Song of Ice and Fire thing, which, by the way, for me, like, the least interesting part of this entire season from our first discussion after episode one is this, like, a Song of Ice and Fire prophecy. Right. I just wish we could let it go. But anyway, when she when she mishears or misunderstands Viserys when he's saying his last words and trying to get across to oh, actually uh Renera is who he was who he thought he was talking to, that oh yeah, that a song of ice and fire thing is probably true and Aegon and blah blah blah, Prince was promised, and she's like, Wait, what? <laughs> Are you saying, are you saying that Aegon, my son, is definitely supposed to be the next king? And for some reason, <laughs> this is like your babblings at the end of your life when you're on Milk of the Poppy is extremely important for yeah. me to take very seriously to the point of war. I remember that, texting you. Okay, I was like, I if it. this becomes a thing, I'm just going to roll my eyes. I texted you that. I was like, there's no way they should make, yeah. build this up as anything of substance. But it didn't matter. Right. Because Otto was going to put it into place anyway. And I think right. that was the that was the most telling moment where he's, he's going to do whatever it takes in that tie-in kind of way. I think he's... He's got a more, I guess, he has more restraint in his demeanor than Tywin. Tywin's a lot more, or was a lot more willing to just fully own that he is this force of a person who is willing to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And Otto likes to play, like you were saying, like he's this level-headed, pragmatic guy. Just even the way that he showed up to Dragonstone in this yeah. most recent episode, right. the last episode, and he's just like, hey, I've got some really fair terms. And you almost buy into it, even though you know that he's just doing what he has to do because I guess it was because in episode nine, Allison was able to get to Aegon first, which, by the way, also I don't think was the strongest That whole part. segment was bizarre. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Allison's terms were different than what Otto's terms were when he finally went to uh, Rhaenyra and Damon. Because Allison was like, they can't, like, they need to be banished. They can't be here still. And he was like, oh, I'll go give the terms. And it's like, why is Otto going to give the terms to in Dragonstone? You know, I was, I was kind of scratching my head at that a little bit. Like, I don't know. But even the it fact that he... Allison or Aegon. So I guess they just, part of it is like, let's throw a person that, you know, is a good actor and a 
could oh, care. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a place where the like writing of a TV show and making an entertaining product took precedence over what would be the most logical move for the high towers. Right. But, but yeah, I, go on. I mean, it was fair terms, right? It's like basically continue as you are now with everything that was that you currently have and just acknowledge me as king is kind of the the um the terms i mean he didn't throw in things like your legitimate children and this and that but in all <laughs> circumstances not horrible terms and that's what's got me like thinking about the greens here it's like if this if viserys was able to keep his house in order like this whole debacle should have not happened a long time ago and also renera like I don't know what she was expecting. Like the day Viserys dies and she's not there in King's Landing, what she thought was going to happen. Like it wasn't that surprising to me that they immediately just crowned Aegon unless the moment Viserys died and didn't tell her because obviously that's what you would do. I can't blame Otto Hightower for being a snake in those moments, but it's it's all the stuff leading up to it. It's... And like you said, just the fact that his presence there, like negotiating terms with air quotes, it's like he sounds so fair and reasonable, but he's really just like preparing for war already. He's already got like he's already sending out people and pulling in allies and this and that. So, yeah, it it is an interesting character and uh, a pretty good scene overall with Otto Hightower. Uh on the side uh, against Renera and Damon discussing terms. I like that scene quite a bit. Yeah. And the the bookends, the parallel from yeah. I guess it was actually episode 2 if I remember correctly. So I don't know if it's fair to call it bookends if it wasn't episode 1 where Otto first flew in right. or not flew in. Um where Otto first stood I on that guess, bridge. <laughs> uh, yeah, stood on the bridge and Renera flew in, but we have this time Renera's on Damon's side, or really Damon's on Renera's side. Right. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, Renera's on an episode two. Renera was on Otto's side. And these interesting parallel scenes that I think the show show does that pretty well a a few times. And this is one of them. And I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate Otto. I, I guess he's just doing what. The king, which really was Allison, came to there. Um, I don't know. I don't sympathize too much with the Greens in part two because Aegon is such a garbage yeah, person yeah. that it's like you can't justify. I I don't know. You can't justify if you're Allison wanting to put him on the throne over someone who the blacks Renera, have the it factor. Want, she for makes sure. Him, the blacks yeah. have the it factor. You gotta give them that. Well, they have the, they have the only person who might make an actual decent queen, yeah. followed by the only person who might actually make a half decent king in the live succession, which is Jace. Not that he's shown so many amazing characteristics or whatever, but he seems right. like a half decent person. Mm-hmm. And then we take a look at the. <laughs> We take a look at the Greens and who they're trotting out there as king. It's a person who's a literal rapist and is just horrible, right? He's involved in betting on these child 
yeah fighting rings even he is screaming i'm not suited which is the only time i've ever agreed with him right he's horrible and you know else is horrible is the person who'd be next up in aimant he's just a bad person too for a lot of reasons we'll get into more of those for sure and then yeah you just there's no one worthwhile for being on the throne except maybe actually Allison, and she's shown no inclination to try to get herself on the throne, even despite what what Rainus, the uh, the queen who never was, uh, told her in episode nine about hey right. you, if you really want to be <laughs> free, you gotta start prioritizing yourself and trying to get yourself on there. I don't know. The Blacks, I just don't see a future. Oh, sorry, the Greens, I don't see a future that is anywhere decent for the realm mm. with them in charge, given just the personnel, Charles. Yeah. Personnel. There is a big personnel problem with the High Towers and the, and the Greens, that's for sure. Uh, the Blacks definitely have a lot more pizzazz, and I would agree completely. And Hmm. It's it's hard to choose, and I think that's what makes the conflict so good. It's like because on Renera's side, like she has these obviously illegitimate children, and then there's the whole theme of you know sexism that prevails in Westeros, and that's kind of an interesting lens to look to too. You have most people being like, okay, she's had like she's had two husbands, she's had children that clearly are not from her, like. From her relationships. Meanwhile, you have Aemon, who's a literal rape, Aegon, who's a literal rapist, and no one cares, and they like all cheer. So she's fighting those standards. So it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out too, and how just by like being a woman and like having all these men try and like rule stuff around you, the conflict gets a lot more cloudy because Alcinth and Rhaenyra are friends and they did make that effort like they like allison presented the were. page were presented the page to rhaenyra of like remember when we were friends and like rhaenyra was genuinely trying to negotiate open well she was genuinely open to negotiating terms i would say i, she, I don't think she ever entertained accepting them but she was like well maybe there is an agreement we can come to which is you know a very noble thing to do for sure and it's mm-hmm. everyone around them is pushing for war, war, war. You have Damon and like that whole council wanted to go to war. Otto Hightower's already got the whole small council plan to go to war. So it's like, I don't know, this, this world is a bit bloodthirsty. And we've seen that from the beginning where people just killing themselves over nothing. Like minor disputes and they're stabbing each other in the hall. So it's bound to happen in a way, I guess. And there's no real like great answer here for the conflict but i don't know it seems like we're leaning towards the blacks a little bit but either way it's gonna be messy yeah there's a part of of me that's like no one's really a good person here anymore but i think you gotta put respect on renera's name like you were saying for her restraint and being willing to consider the terms and Mm -hmm. she's actually they described her in the after the episodes as her father's daughter at times because she's thinking about, okay, how can I actually keep the realm at peace 
here? How can I do what's best for them? And maybe that's actually more important than the fact that my butt is on the king of ashes and bones or whatever. Queen of ashes and bones. Yes. Which is a little, I don't know. I like that as, I don't know if it's an explicit callback to what they say in in the original Game of Thrones about Littlefinger, Mm. where it's like, uh, they say... It's like he would burn the realm to the ground if he could be king of the ashes. <laughs> it's like you don't want to be like that. No, so or even like a Daenerys who she brought dragons mm. to King's Landing and like just killed a bunch of innocent people. So that's the kind of path that Rhaenyra was trying to avoid. She even said like because her whole council was like we just bring all our dragons to King's Landing right now and we light them up. And she's like. That's going to absolutely devastate the realm. We cannot do that. And props to her. That's a very regal thing to like put your foot down on and be like, what's like we can't pay that cost. What? So I can be queen? Like, I'm not gonna pay that cost just so I can be the one in charge. You know, it just doesn't it's just not fair to the realm, which is a very noble thing to do. Otto Hightower, I don't know if he would ever make that same choice. <laughs> but there we are. Yeah, I don't think he would ever make that same choice either. But Renera's not going to make that choice now. We feel pretty confident in that. Mm-hmm. You alluded to the reason why earlier, which is the death of her second-born son. Luke. Uh, that's Luke, they call him. And that, I, let's talk some about that scene, because to me, that, that brought the finale up to a whole nother notch. Yeah. I just, I love the way it was filmed. I love yeah. the, the route that they went. And I, I also love the the nuance. Uh, we'll get into all this more. The nuance in terms of actually the way it played out was yeah. accidental. In yeah. a, right? It starts, and there's actually, Eamon, there, it'd be so easy to play him as a complete evil person mm-hmm. and he is a villain i agree with that but the the way this plays out there's actual history between those two in particular and reason why Eamon would be pretty pissed off at luke mm-hmm. and then you also get the fact that they they both lost control of their dragons which differs from uh, not that i've read the book but i have uh, you know, I was uh, reading up a little bit on some of the differences, and one of those is uh, it's not specified what exactly played out in mm-hmm. terms of the uh, that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't know if there were any losing control of the dragon instances if you read the book, and you kind of assume there probably wasn't uh, right. if you don't have any reason to. So I, I love how all of that played out, Yeah, uh, Charles. Uh, That's well yeah, said, because Eamon... Like, you even heard him be like, no, stop, or whatever. And even Luke was like, mm-hmm. "Like, what are you doing? Like, let's get out of here. So you could tell they were losing control. And I had read that, too. I haven't actually read Fire and Blood. But I do know that um, Aemon Targaryen like just kind of owns that he did it. Like, oh, yeah, I, I killed Luke. That was all me. And in the show, you kind of get the sense that, you know, because the book is written, like, by historians. Like, that's the, like, historians mm-hmm. are marking down the history. So... From factually, there was a fight. Aemon, like, was alive and Luke died. Aemon killed Luke kind of a thing. 
But it could be possible that it played out like the show did and that it was an accident and now Eamon is faced with two choices. Like, do I go home and say, it was an accident, I didn't mean to, I lost control? Or do you say, well... <laughs> Which doesn't seem like what he did. No, or be like, you know what, it was an accident, but I have to own it now because there's no going back from it. So I am going to own it. I've got the eye patch already. So this is just my villain story and uh, own it. And I think that's kind of what they're going to of like, yeah he's going to go home and be like, oh, I killed him. He, he was weak. My dragon was like 20 times bigger. So it was just it was one chomp and we're that much closer to, to victory. And it's like, ooh. <laughs> I, I, I would probably do the same thing in Eamon's shoes at this point. I wouldn't be like, it was an accident. I'm sorry. Because what good does that get you? Get you nowhere. Whereas at least owning up to it and being like, yeah, I killed him. Not a good look, but it's a better look I think than just being like a child who made a mistake and that's what I want to talk about like these kids and these dragons it's like you really just gotta when kids get like this you just gotta blame the parents man this is just bad (laughs) upbringing um immediately when uh Rhaenyra sent both of her sons away I'm like oh they're dead like this is Uh, a horrible idea I would have never like okayed this especially luke is so small he looks like a little kid and then if i was luke and i landed and i saw that big ass dragon i would just immediately turn around yeah oh yeah (laughs) i was like screaming at the tv i was like dude get out get out of here just hop back on the dragon that's what i would have done immediately yeah i'd be like see ya (laughs) this is not working out but you know he tries to put a brave face on and he goes in and oh yeah like immediately when all that was happening i was like he doesn't stand a chance never did and that goes to show you kind of like the naivete of rhaenyra's like reign right now she thinks the baratheons are gonna come to call because like the father was loyal and we remember the father from like the jousting match who was all over uh princess rhaenyra's and like the queen that never was or whatever that was the oh, dad rainus that was the dad of this Baratheon character his name right. escapes me but it's like he died and now the son's ruling and he's like you're offering me nothing like what are you talking about why would I ever support you and uh it, yeah it makes sense that he then turned him away but now you have these kids who just have these dragons and it speaks to like where this realm is as a society just in general it's like they've got more pent up like aggression and power and they know what to do with and they're just like letting that violence just kind of overflows and people just die in skirmishes all the time in this version of Westeros in this time period and I genuinely do believe that this was an accident between two people that just lost control of their dragons but they're kids man and shame on the parents for sending their kids out there it's like who gets their 16 year old like oh you got your license here's a tank uh, have fun in school honey and and then be surprised <laughs> that like he blew up another kid or something it's like yeah you just gave him a tank and unchecked privileges to just go out and do whatever they want of course someone's gonna lose an eye someone's gonna lose their life it just ha- happens so well built up i i do think like it's honestly portrayed within the world it's just such a shame that like this parenting has gone uh, gone astray here and that these dragons have run wild and now you send one of your only kids off and they just get killed. I, yeah, it, it was a risky move. If I was Renair, I would have never, ever, 
done that. Like maybe if this was a world where your opponent didn't have any dragons, then yeah, dragons speak volumes. But when they have a lot of dragons too, I wouldn't be flying out so quick <laughs> to anywhere. I'd be like, we need to know where the dragons are. Like we can't just fly out somewhere unguarded. So that was my reaction. Yeah, I felt similarly. It was it was bad luck too yeah. that it was the same exact time and that it was Luke and Eamon because yeah. obviously there's the history between those two in particular where Luke mm. cut uh, Eamon's eye open and Eamon, I guess, now threw some gem in there. That was yeah, some blue crystal thing in there. Yeah, but he's... And on top of that, he's remembering when Allison, his mom, was demanding Luke's eye from the whole thing. So he's he's calling back to that explicitly when they're in Storm's End. Uh, the current Lord Baratheon is like, okay, you're just you're not doing that in my place. You you got to get out of here. Which at and, least he had the decency <laughs> to do that. <laughs> right, and then. Yeah, it's uh, it's this moment where Eamon wants to to chase after, just carry on the torment and the bullying, kind of get back. And even like, there's a history where Luke used to be part. He was very young, obviously, but be part of this bullying that Aegon, Jason, Luke used to do to to Eamon. Uh, you know, they brought out the pig and. Uh, right. Like dressed up like a dragon because Eamon was the one person who doesn't have a dragon. So it's this whole thing of like, oh, remember when you used to do that to me? And I hate you because you messed <laughs> up my eye. It, like, oh, who doesn't have a dra- Like, <laughs> oh, I don't have a dragon. I have the biggest freaking dragon and I'm just going to torture you with it. And can we talk about how this scene was shot? Because right. I just, when he's flying through the storm, obviously this is storm's end and mm. the storm lands, right? So oh, we're we're not shocked that we have this storm going on around the Baratheon's keep. Mm -hmm. And you see on his, on his little young dragon, you see, he's like looking over his shoulder. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm just trying to get his dragon through the storm. And then there's that moment where (laughs) it's like when you, you see in like a jaws movie, right? Just like the shark underneath the water, (laughs) the shadow of it. It's huge. It's like, uh, that moment plays out except it's above luke and that giant dragon yeah. and Sick. that moment right it's like in the flash of lightning and it's like that moment is so cool and Excellent. the scene looked amazing the chase is so much uh, i don't know if fun's the right word but it's so entertaining and finally it seems like luke is gonna get away <laughs> right <laughs> he gets out into that open air and then Vagar with just the chomp, right? Oh, the they chomp one was article good. they called it like the chomp heard round the world <laughs> is what they called it. That's and it's funny. just like this <laughs> Yeah, the choice too to do that instead of to do like fire or something like that is so much cooler, mm-hmm. I feel like, because it's just it I don't know, it hits so hard. And it You've was seen quiet so many burn to death still, in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just Right, and you just see the parts of the dragon. It's like this dragon just literally bit down on another dragon and just chomped it into pieces, <laughs> and it's just like falling down into the ocean. And what a! It's just like a 
memorable moment yeah right there and to kill a kid yeah like he's the youngest kind of like main character a prince oh, too man, and a relative a which is an extra big no-no in westeros to kill your kin i mean they're all kind of related <laughs> at this point especially it's, the targaryens it's tough out there but, uh, they probably they're had the related. least amount of like familiar blood than anyone though but um yeah, it, it was impactful and it was a good way to do it. I knew I would have bet and I would have taken any odds to bet that he was a dead man. As the minute they flew those kids out, I'm like they're they're dead. And it was like you said, like the perfect matchup too, right? Because I've been watching uh Aemond there was there's parts about Aemon that impressed me and then parts of me that are like this guy's unhinged. I thought the performance of the older Aemon was has been really good uh maybe a little over the top at times but it's just fun and i'm okay I like with that it. yeah, yeah I, I like I, when it's over the top i like it i like god forbid this show's fun you know so i'm, I'm all about it <laughs> and uh yeah it's like he just totally outclasses luke in every way too he's like way taller like way more sophisticated and is more eloquent in his speech it's got the bigger dragon. It's like, this kid did not stand a chance. And they try and make you think, oh, I broke through the storm. I'm like, no, he's he's dead. Like, I guarantee you, he's going to get killed right here. And yeah, be eaten to pieces, eaten to pieces. And I feel, I don't feel very confident about Jace either. I mean, we'll see. He's going to see the Starks. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. I don't think the Starks are trying. They're like, there's never a Stark that like has broken an oath. I'm like... I think they will portray the Starks as honorable. I was not trusting the Baratheon thing. I'm like, Baratheons are wild cards. Yeah. It's like, they're like, oh, he's a very proud man. And that's why you're going to receive a great welcome. It's like, proud is not really a reliable characteristic or yeah. a positive one. Yeah. It's, he's, that means he's likely to do whatever best serves him. And I think, you know, whatever best makes him look big and in this case, he was brought better terms from the high towers. Right. I mean, I, I can't say I blame protect. him too much. It's like, what, I'm going to keep the oath of my father when this guy's already crowned king and offering me a marriage proposal and, like, you're, like, 12 years old? It's like, get out of here, dude. Like, get out of here. It just would be nice if... I was just thinking it'd be nice if... So Luke left, and obviously it didn't take too long before Aemon was out of there too, mm. right? He must have followed right after because Aemon caught up pretty quick. Right. And so when you see, okay, we just let Luke go. He came here as a messenger, right? There's all these like house rights or whatever, right. like guest rights, sorry, uh, where you're supposed to protect the people who enter your hall. It'd just be nice if they just threw a few of those armed guardsmen in front of Aemon and they're like, you're not leaving right now. Like, give this... I mean, what can you do? He's a princeling and he's got the biggest dragon in the world. Like, were you going to say no to him? Yeah, but he's not on the dragon. I just think, you know, there's a way to put a few people in front of him without... I think when you show up with the biggest dragon in the world... It kind of brings all the good faith out of your negotiations. It's like, are you going to hold me back? Are you going to tell me no? Because I can say the words Dracarys and 
kill everyone in here like in two seconds this is the biggest dragon in the world we're talking about i wouldn't say no to him that's for sure i'd be like see you later i hope you guys kill each other uh out there in the in the storm like please do (laughs) because i don't want to deal with either of you (laughs) i get that it's just the starks would have handled it and also he's trying to get one of his daughters married to to um Aemon, so I, I mean, like, I think that was already in the terms, so I right. think he already had that secured. And I also think that the the high towers, they're not gonna over something as small as them kind of putting a blockade to keep Aemon from running out there and topping on dragon and all that. It's like I don't think that's gonna ruin their terms. I need the Baratheons on their side, but I, I see your point, Charles. In the moment, are you? I don't know how you're going to stop Aemon if he wants to go, you know. He's also a very accomplished fighter, too. We've seen that. Right, but they were, he was outnumbered. There were so many guards there. He's got, I don't know. He's got the agree to disagree dragon in the world. <laughs> I'm right outside. He's on the dragon at that moment. I'm saying he's in the hall. You can The guards are in the hall, too. You just throw them in front of him. But agree to disagree because arguing about what Baratheon should do probably doesn't already has received way more attention in this episode <laughs> than it deserves it's like watch 10 episodes and we spent like five of five minutes of an episode on uh, <laughs> uh on the whole season uh that's probably gonna be like 60 minutes <laughs> talking right. about what should have should this minor character do but anyway let's talk i like the nuance we talked about this a little bit right you get the moment where uh uh Oh god, I'm gonna blank on the dragon name, like Arix or something. The name right? of who? I, we can the little dragon. Oh, I've, Luke's, Luke's dragon. dragon. I have no idea. Yeah, look it up while I'm talking. Okay, I will look it up. We'll get it right. So, oh, uh, that one is just get. It's like freaking out, and it ends up like blowing some fire into Vagar's face, and. That's uh, <laughs> that's Arax. where things went awry. Arax. A-R-R-A-X. Did I get that right? Mm. Okay. Arax. Uh, so ends up blowing some fire into Vagar's face. And mm. from that that point on, just both of them do not have control over their dragon. Well, I think the so fire was this, unintended like, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's like, yeah, that was unintended. And then, of course, the chomp was unintended. And... Uh, I, I just think that's something that this season has kind of tried to lean toward. And this was a great success in mm-hmm. this moment because you get the like, oh, wow, Eamon, like this kind of crap just just happens and things go awry. And these huge moments in history edge on or hinge on these human failures basically yeah. right these and we talk about that our um joe abercrombie uh mm. one of our favorite authors who's on the show we talk about how in his books what some of what works really well is uh, he does these moments where humans just being humans and making mistakes <laughs> right and game of thrones does this really well too that's what history often turns on right. and in this moment just the human urge to kind of torment the guy who tormented him in the past, Aemon ends up sending them all into war, and we get a more complex character out of Aemon mm-hmm. in this moment. Absolutely. Uh, rather than just the cartoonish villain, something oh, like yeah. that. 
Yeah, and we also, yeah, get this this moment where even if it wasn't intended, we're going to have a war here, <laughs> and I I absolutely love the way that they they played that. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the systematic problems in this society like in this age are portrayed really well in the show they spent a lot of time showing the different layers some more blatant than others of like okay look there's misogyny there's also a bit of soft-spokenness from our leader there's also a little bit of this like tendency towards violence and you have the kids who were kind of raised to not really get along and then you give them these powerful nuclear bombs and they use them against each other and hurt each other by accident and kill each other it's well placed and well handled and you see it from different perspectives like you have Rhaenyra you have Allison and you even have Renice, who are all kind of have these very similar shared experiences and you think that would kind of bring them together in camaraderie but it only kind of puts them at odds with each other they can recognize things in each other and respect each other and be friends every once in a while but they are all at odds and, and it's interesting to see all of that play out across across the whole show and there were a lot of payoffs in the last episode and the episode before it because I feel like 9 and 10 are kind of two halves of a whole idea here where you have the High Tower mm-hmm. episode and you have the Targaryen episode um, so I kind of see them as one sometimes and uh, yeah, you get a lot of payoff in those two episodes. I, like once Viserys is dead, it just kicks everything off, and all of this has been brooding. And you you see how unavoidable it really was. They're, like everyone is so far down already, and the fact that they were even able to sit down and have dinner in a somewhat civil manner for about a second in episode in episode eight was. Like an incredible feat. That's like all of Viserys's will was to have them have one nice moment in one dinner. Like that's all he was really able to achieve. It was all so broken, and uh, just to watch it all finally come to a head, it just took this what was accidental but irreversible move of killing one of the one of the sons. So yeah, fantastic ending to the season for sure. You need to go out with something heavy, and I thought they balanced it well like it was shocking it was exciting like all of these targaryen characters are just so unpredictable like still can't get a read on damon like he's choking out rhaenyra like moments before is that wild was... and as much as that scene was like unseemly obviously damon is not a good person at all killed his last wife with a rock and now he's got rhaenyra by the throat at least the only thing I was able to kind of understand was she was talking about the the, the freaking um, prophecy. <laughs> it's like, okay, enough with the prophecy. Sometimes when people <laughs> talk about prophecy, I kind of want to choke them out too. Exactly. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like, I kind of see where Damon's coming from. Still not cool but though. Domestic violence, never mm, okay. Never okay. But, but she was talking it about the prophecy. when people talk about the prophecy. She and was, obviously the the thing it's supposed to mean in the show isn't just him being annoyed that this bad story element is coming up again, but the idea that even when Damon was technically the heir, Viserys did not trust him enough to to provide him with that information and right. kind of always knew that Damon was not going to 
be his successor if he had anything to say about it. So, right. yeah, I mean, you're right. They're, they're wild cards. Uh, only Targaryen who seemed to have it together mentally, like didn't have this streak of, of fire and blood in him really was Viserys. And he was the only thing, just their mutual... I don't know if respect is the best word, but like, just like of Viserys as a person and not wanting to make his life worse was what kept this this family together. And right. he, I mean, we should, since we haven't talked about it all on the, on the show yet, we should talk episode eight because that's my favorite episode this yeah, season. Yeah, still the is, best episode of the is season. Is the Viserys, yes, agreed. Yeah. Uh, the Viserys episode, really. His curtain call and uh, one of the best performances I feel like I've seen on any TV episode, period, by by an actor. Uh, Considine was, like, out of this world. Like, yeah. someone, someone get this guy an Emmy, right? <laughs> For um, sure. No, he was excellent. And it made Viserys, like, one of my favorite characters. Like, obviously his whole rule rule can be looked back on as kind of a whimper in the history books but mm. that's what kind of fascinates me about him how his like struggle with mediocrity and his own incompetence even though he meant well and all he wanted was to have a big happy family it's just like and he wanted to make Rhaenyra queen like very progressive ideas and very wholesome guy just by sheer incompetence, he set up this huge catastrophic failure that is the Dance of Dragons, right? So, to, for me, that that balance is just super fascinating, and uh, it's it's more interesting than a character who's like got obvious, like you know, oh, you have obvious flaws, like you're mean to people, like that's not cool. Like he's actually a guy you like, even though he has failed. His failure is much more. Um, indirect and subtle it's just so fascinating and then his performance where he desperately tries to save it all there's that moment where Renera is like at his bedside and it's like like if you still want me to be queen I need you to fight for me and you see him doing everything an old person can do to try and preserve their dignity and then like refusing pain medication to keep a clear head trying to walk on your own go upstairs on your own bend over and pick something up on your own host a dinner with your whole family like all of these things you it's heartbreaking one because of his story is kind of tragic and he's about to die and two just like getting old sucks man (laughs) getting old sucks well it's really the illness more than his age because i believe he's 52 at the time of his death in the story so it's he you know he looks much older and he's uh, so worn down but you're you're right about that it's 52 is old for this kind of a setting (laughs) no 52 is not old to our wonderful it's not it's not old in the modern age but in the game of thrones world that's old bro they're getting married at like 12 really sure but i don't really think their life expectancy is as low as like it was in the real middle ages and stuff right you've got all these got guys like maester hard to say where is this is an unbiased sample here of royalty (laughs) 
I mean, this is a biased sample. <laughs> okay, of okay, true. But <laughs> yes, you're right. But among the nobles and all that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 52, not old, uh, but, you know, showing the kind of things that often happen as people reach the end of their life and oftentimes people who are uh, significantly older um, go through some of these things and uh, I I don't know I think it goes to show how at its core Game of Thrones is a show or House of the Dragon 2 you know this <clears throat> this the shows in this universe they're shows about human at times triumph, at times failure, but they're human stories and psychological stories underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's dragons, there's, uh, in the old show, there were white walkers, there's magic Wars, that's taking place. But the, yeah, but the scene that was most captivating for me in this entire season, with a show kind of about dragons in some ways, <laughs> was a guy an ill man just overcoming his his frailty to step up to a diet that's what it's called dais 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 okay but a man stepping up to the stairs leading up to his throne and then being able to do it by himself until another family member who he's had strife with then comes the over, picks up the yeah, picks up the crown off the ground and helps him up, sits down, and then he gets crowned by his brother, mm. who is uh, someone who yeah, they've had such a, a tumultuous relationship, and for his brother to finally be acknowledging. Uh, like hey you're the king by putting the crown on his head just like all that moment for me was so emotionally overwhelming and captivating Mm -hmm. i mean nothing's gonna stick with me quite like that i was like bawling just tears flowing down my face and great performance from damon too on there like it's a it's a great scene and I, I do think like this show has can struggle sometimes with presenting its big heroic moments and its more nuanced symbolism and metaphors and stuff like that. But this was a scene they just thankfully let play out and let us like just take in the performance and what it means in the relationship with these characters without like a word being spoken. There was so much restraint in those moments. I mean, the crowning on his head was very obvious, but it was also very poignant and meaningful, too, because that's a big gesture for Damon. Uh, and also wasn't in the script, apparently. Oh. Did you hear that? I did not hear did that. Did you not know? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So that seems like the type of thing that could be even a little bit too on the nose. Very, felt very writerly and mm-hmm. metaphorical to have him crown his brother at the end. Mm. But... That was actually something that happened where uh, Patty Considine, mm. I believe is the actor's name, the crown fell off his head while he was going up, and uh, the guy who plays Damon... Matt Smith. Oh, God, Matt Smith. Uh, he ends up picking up the crown, just 
because that's what happened. They play out the scene and they put it on his head. So and the crown was not meant to fall off his head? Not meant to fall. Wow. No, not meant to fall off his head, nor was it meant to then result in this moment where Matt Smith puts the crown on Viserys' head. That just kind of happened. And I don't think it was like that happened in that first take. And then they were like, whoa, we should keep this take. I think it just happened at some point. And then they were like, oh, wow, that's really good. Let's keep doing it that way. I see. And so they shot yeah. it intentionally after that. But the inspiration for it came from shooting the scene a different way. Right. Uh, that's that's so, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. And it's... Although it's very obvious, I don't think he was heavy-handed or anything. Like I really enjoyed that moment. Definitely, I agree with you, Dylan. One of the more powerful moments of the whole show. There's so many moments they tried to give us with certain characters that I was like, I'm not fully buying. I'm kind of referring to the Uranus moment that I don't whatever, I'm yeah, whatever we'll about. A bit but um, not the to Uranus take... moment at the end of of episode nine you're referring yeah, to yeah 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 where she spares the greens yeah, yeah, we'll get into it we'll get into that but i want to make sure viserys gets his moment it's like there's moments where it's like this is the big moment that feels kind of overblown or over delivered but this was one of the best shot recorded like presented scenes of the whole show and they just let these characters be themselves they have amazing actors and these characters now they've built up all these really rich interpersonal relationships like compared to game of thrones this show is very nuclear uh, like really small setting and cast here nuclear like nuclear family nuclear not well, well i guess both but i meant like yeah, nuclear and that the family's but, very close yeah. and tight-knit and really only two settings kind of king's landing and uh yeah and dragonstone really they go to other places but it's like in a side like a really small uh, mm-hmm. setting here whereas Game of Thrones were like we went to the wall and we went here and we went there and we went to West and we were in Westeros and or we were in the north and, and stand in uh, where, yeah, where did the Starks live? So old mother continent, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Wait, you say, did you blank on Winterfell? Yeah, Winterfell. Thank you. You know, I've actually been there in Northern Ireland. I've been to Winterfell so I should know. Wow. But um, yeah, uh, so this show is way more restrained and all of that. And I think what you get then is a lot of these great payoffs later on of like, they invested so much time in the complicated interpersonal relationships of these characters that they're so complex. And you have a scene where Damon is choking out Rhaenyra and you're still kind of conflicted on the Damon character after that. It's like, whoa, kind of speaks to, um, how much we know about these characters that we're not like that guy's just a straight up, like crazy villain which he is but you can still empathize with him in certain moments like he can beat his wife in with a rock and then crown Viserys and you still feel those different emotions that full range of emotions with someone like that like it's a real achievement it's a triumph and it's something that a lot of tv shows are rarely able to pull off it's not an easy thing to do and the world that they created in the show it's like is incredible and we get these brilliant moments like Viserys I will sit the throne today kind of moments are that much more powerful for it well said Charles and I think that first of all I want to say I totally agree about the complexity of Damon's character and Mm -hmm. how critical that's been to my enjoyment of the show they could so easily play him as a villain or 
or try to hype him up as a as a hero by not having all these horrible things that he's doing i guess but he's super complex and they find that really incredible happy medium where <laughs> yeah he, it's amazing. he can almost do anything and it fuels in character he's very unpredictable. that's a really yeah. hard to do right because because his character is so rash and unpredictable he's capable of all, almost anything and then when you're you've got such an incredible actor playing the role who can who can do both sides of the of the coin there uh you just got recipe for success and and speaking of that the actors i think part of what makes that moment so great with all the casting changes and the time skips and all this stuff i mean you want to think you don't lose your attachment at all to characters like let's say uh, Renero when we get a a change or Allison or whatever. But I think you do just a little bit Mm -hmm. when it's a new person on there. Sure. It's hard to put that aside completely, but Viserys and Damon, we've had the the same. uh, Yeah. OG actors playing it all the way through. So the way that that moment delivers is in part, I think even stronger because of that, where we have all that original attachment. We've Mm -hmm. seen them since, since episode one in a way that mm, not exactly the same when you're you're seeing some of the other characters although the the new cast has really grown on me oh they they stepped up for sure like i feel like the transition was really smooth Uh, like and my only problem is the like young actors were so good i didn't want to lose them and now the new actors are here and they're also good so it's like it's just complicated like everyone's good like can we all just be in a scene can we get i found it jarring a little bit at first uh, I mean, I yeah, mean, it's it's not ideal it's, it's as tough. a fan of the show and the characters. I've gotten used to them. Yeah, yeah. And learned to appreciate them more. Within one season, within yeah. five episodes, you know, it's like not that much time. And uh, I, I think all of the, like the overwhelming majority of fans of the show are kind of just having really, are on board with it. And I think that's an accomplishment because that could be seen as a very unpopular thing of like, we're going to recast our main characters five episodes in. Not like the safest play at all. So, I mean, hats off to them. They took a risk and uh, they were able to pull it off. Um, and you're able to see the relationships of these characters go from a young age to like an old, uh, like an older age. Now they have kids themselves. So that was rewarding to see because now you get the payoff of how did we go from like playing in the garden, talking about eating cakes to your kid killed my kid and we're at war now. Like it, it's a long way to go. So if I was in that like writers room i'd be very nervous about (laughs) recasting characters and aging up and time skips i'd be like this all sounds super complicated and risky but they pulled it off i don't think at any moment like it was it was bad i mean i missed the the old characters but that's really the only complaint that i have about it like everything else to me was fine and good so kudos to them for that I agree, Charles. So let's, we talked a little bit about the Rainus moment, and mm. uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about, uh, maybe about just things in general this season that 
that didn't work as well for mm-hmm. us. I'm sure that'll be a much briefer conversation than the things that worked well. But uh, <laughs> Episode uh, 9 for me was a little You were sloppy. very critical of Episode 9. Yeah, we had a little text exchange afterward. And uh, you, you soured me on it a little bit. <laughs> I came off Episode 9 feeling really good. And then it's one of those things where you kind of started poking holes in some stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I guess that's accurate. And then I just kind of leveled out with my my hype on it so yeah. Yeah, i mean if you I, want to bring those in probably especially the rainus moment so sure <laughs> you also had a funny line about the hitchcock thing. oh yeah we can <laughs> get were... we need to get into all of that so i'll be quick but for, for me there was i thought episode nine started really strong right i love this concept of the king is dead it's the twilight hours of the morning like you know you're at the precipice of do we take our moment and seize power now knowing it will cause conflict like how like what needs to be done and Otto Hightower like did not miss a beat and kept it going and I I really enjoyed those moments in like the small um, council where they've already been like oh yeah well we've got these ships and these people will call to our banners and this and that and that to me was excellent but then there was this whole second thing of like Oh, where's Aegon? And then I just pictured like Scooby-Doo where the characters are running across all these different doors and different characters are running in and out <laughs> and like running past each other and into each other. You're like, what is this? This uh, this silliness of like, ooh, who's, who's seen Aegon last? Whoever gets to him first controls the destiny of the realm, this, that, and the other. And it's like, I don't know, didn't really buy into it. And you have the whole child fighting ring, which makes Aegon look even worse. That's probably the main thing it does. It's like, wow, he has bastard children fighting in the ring and he's like placing bets on it and this and that. But ultimately, who cares? They've got the twins with very similar names and they're, and it's like, okay, who cares about you? And I like in the after the show, it's like, oh, throughout the season, they've been kind of disagreeing with each other. And I'm like, I've never seen these characters before in my life. <laughs> this is, I'm, I like, and if I did, they were really not important. Like, this is, to me is the first time. I think time they I'm, were only one of them was in the previous episode, and the, all that really happened was Allison is like, Sir Eric, like, come over here and do this thing. And he was like, I'm Eric, actually. <laughs> okay (laughs) yeah it's like who cares so that was weird and the after the show for that again the after the show just finds a way to like annoy me almost every time (laughs) with these guys (laughs) like i don't know what it is that i just can't like calm down with them but they don't add any value really they just kind of explain the scene that we already saw It's like, oh, yeah, well, you could tell that Aemon, like, accidentally lost control of the dragon, and then now Luke died. It's like, yeah, I know, I just saw it. Like, what else can you tell me about the show? And in this one, I remember he calls the episode Hitchcockian, and I was like, (laughs) I'm wondering if he's ever seen a Hitchcock film, and if he knows what Hitchcockian means. Like, yeah, it was, like, kind of suspenseful a little bit, but for the most part, it was like very like a normal episode, like a Hitchcock movie changes directions and it's like sh- like shocking and, and, and suspenseful and like totally unexpected. And I, it, this was nothing like that. So it was still good. I don't want to take a like 
I'm going to hate on the episode, but overall it was a very good episode. I just feel like the standards have been raised so high for House of the Dragon that I feel like I have to be extra critical in these moments. So it's like, dude, your show's not Hitchcockian, so get that word out of your vocabulary. The whole search for Aegon <laughs> thing, like, who cares? And then, like, we were talking, but you had a good point about what's-her-face negotiating with Otto Hightower. And she's like, I want you to end the Otto child Whiteboard. ring fighting. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, sure, I'll end child ring fighting. Like, I don't give a crap. <laughs> like, you think, I like, whatever. And then I'm watching this, I'm like, who cares about this lady character? Who cares about child cockfights? Like, nobody does. So I don't even know why we're trying well, to make this know, a thing uh, in episode nine. Talking Fantasy Podcast, we are firmly against child cockfights. I mean, yes, we are. We do obviously. care. We do care. We, but <laughs> like together, Charles like, not we, as strongly as For just 25 am, cents a day, you too can end child cockfighting. <laughs> we need like one of those Alison <laughs> okay. McLaughlin but things the, with like a dirty Targaryen orphan. It's like, I will remember you. <laughs> it's like this child was kicked out into the cold and you. sold to the child Cockfight rings, you know, like the um the the sad pet adoption commercials. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, the thing I was trying to say is she's talking the the thing that you brought up that uh, uh, my point about the white worm thing is like she's talking to the slimiest person <laughs> in King's right. Landing in Otto Hightower and just relying on his word. She's like. I, I want your word that you're going to stop these child cockfights. And Otto Hightower is like, yeah, of course. Uh, you can trust me. Yeah, I'm over-reliable Otto. <laughs> uh, honest Otto, you know? When I was a kid, I chopped down a cherry tree. And I was like, <laughs> I can't lie about this. It was like, you're not. Ex- this isn't exactly a paragon of moral virtue that you're... No talking to here and he's so i don't know the whole motivation but whatever this of one of them grabs him and it's like okay fine like and her accent is borderline offensive <laughs> to i was everyone. like oh this accent isn't <laughs> it sounds off. racist but i know it's not it's just i'm just kind of like if i talked like that i'd get canceled <laughs> but she can talk like that <laughs> so it's like you know it was one of those awkward i was like i don't care about this character at all throw her out um, like cut that out of the episode don't need it and then it ends and then the producers also oh. in the after the show you have one more thing to say before we move on yeah go for it yeah go on oh, 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 oh. No, I'm like you finish oh, okay so we have Rhaenys right we all know what happened she breaks through the floor of King's Landing and and the produced like the showrunners at, in the after the episode like this was her moment we wanted to give her her moment and I'm like what who cares about this moment? Like, this is not an earned thing for Rhaenys because it's totally undermined by the fact that she just killed at least a (laughs) hundred innocent lives. (laughs) Like, she comes up from the floor floor. of a crowded room. (laughs) Of a crowded, jam-packed... They were like, bring them all. I want all of King's Landing to see the the coronation ceremony. They pack it to the gills. And she just comes up through the floor. Catastrophic loss of life. This is one of those, like, (laughs) main massacre events led by Rhaenys targaryen it's like this was her moment she chose not to be violent in this moment she chose right. to she spare chose the, the high thing. towers it's like what are you talking about she threw her morality out the window when she killed a million people at least viserys i i, I 
think it was Viserys or maybe it was Otto Hightower. Maybe you can remember, Dylan. There was this line of like, power is given by the people kind of a thing. It's like power is this fickle thing that the people, like the common man gives you. Basically Mm. like... I mean, been... we've had lines about that ranging back to Viserys with his whole, uh, what did you say? It's like water uh, dragons. Um, no, oh, sorry. Did I say, I'm trying to say Varys. Oh. Varys, where he's like, it's a mummer's trick. Back in the original Game of Thrones, he gives that whole oh, yeah. speech to Tyrion about it's like, oh, here's a riddle. There's three right. different people. It's like, who has the power? And he's like it's a mummer's farce power like power resides where uh men believe it resides right exactly and i think i, I think otto was kind of making that sure case it's... to crown um aegon yeah. but someone said it in that episode which i think is important because they're talking about like how like the common man is so important and boom i threw the roof through the floor you just kill a bunch of people your dragon is could end this fight before it even starts right now with no additional loss of life than the catastrophic loss of life you've already just committed. It's like, what's stopping you from killing four more people? Like, what are you doing? Uh, so I don't know. And then, and then she goes to Rhaenyra and then she has like, she's acting all coy all of episode 10 of like, she's like in the background of all these shots, like it's kind of walking <laughs> by is. staring and it's like, why do they put her in focus just to like stare in the background? Like, obviously they show her not kneeling, which makes sense, but it got up to the point where she would come into focus in the background and I would laugh because it's just funny that they just kept showing her <laughs> standing around, like not doing anything. I mean, she's a great actress, but they did her a little dirty, showing her over and over and over and over again, to where she eventually sides with Rhaenyra, which I can't say that was the best choice. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but like, if you're going to side with Rhaenyra, like, what are you doing? With Why are you messing around with the high towers and, and letting them go? Like, the whole thing was kind of messy to me, and I feel like we didn't really get too much of Rhaenyra character development. Like, we saw that the crown was robbed from her, and she was always kind of cold to Rhaenyra. Yeah, Rhaenys was always kind of cold to Rhaenyra. So, yeah, the Rhaenys... The Rhaenys arc and to have her moment, the whole thing, just kind of stumbled for me. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, what, what, what? Like, what was that episode? It's kind of a little messy, in my opinion. I don't know. Am Am I that off base? I don't think you're that off base, Charles. And I, I think... Where you're totally on base is this idea that presenting presenting it as this moral choice, which is what they did in the yeah. after the episode, mm-hmm. but was not necessarily what it had to be based on the actual events that mm-hmm. played out in the show, mm-hmm. at least in episode nine, uh, where she bursts through, she kills all these <laughs> people but doesn't count because they don't have names (laughs) right you can't you can't find them credited anywhere on imdb so it doesn't count Mm. and then it's moral because she spared the characters that do have names ah i don't really buy into that that doesn't make any sense and it's this trope that i just kind of hate in general which is it's I, i think about in like uh 
you know, superhero uh, comics or movies or whatever where they're they're basically killing henchmen mm-hmm. like it's nothing. And then they get to the main villain and they're like, no, shaking over the killing blow. Like, if I <laughs> right, if I kill, if I kill the mastermind behind all of this. Who has who is a named character? It's not henchman number two. If I kill that person, I'll be just as bad as them. And it's like, whoa! Like henchman two might have had a family. Henchman two's just trying to get an honest living. It's like this person is a person. If anyone deserves it, it's this person. Exactly. And I think we you can't can forget that Rhaenys is a mass murderer. This is a massacre of human life. Yeah. Catastrophic loss no, of human life. But for no the reason. Way I took it. Yeah, the way I took it when I first watched the episode before the the showrunners told me how to think, which they they're really big into that, <laughs> huge into that. God, you're right. God forbid that I have my own thoughts. Everything <laughs> needs to be explained explicitly. What happened? They say like, oh, it's this moral choice, and some people might disagree with it, but this is what you did. And for me, it was more just about the power move of it all, which is when I enjoyed it more. Was when she just comes in, and she's like. She's- has the dragon roar at them. She's like, hey, I could have killed all of you, and I'm choosing not to. Peace. Yeah, she's like, like, I can still wreck your stuff up. You know, like, I just... I'm right here in the middle of King's... of, of the hall, right? In King's Landing. Like, this is what I'm capable of. This is what dragons, like the blood of the dragon, can right. do. Peace. Like, leave them shaking in their boots Peace. a little bit. But... Yeah, and I'm like, I'm thinking back to these moments where she's like, oh, Driftmark is going to need to stand alone and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, this is just her being like, I have the power to end you, but I won't because this ain't my fight. I'm out of here. And <laughs> so ridiculous. I think that's a stronger, I don't know, I think that's a stronger way to play it if she actually went to Driftmark and was out of here. Yeah. Right. If she's I mean, actually like, hey, she like retired, isolate myself. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's actually what Corliss wanted to do in episode 10. Yeah. He was like, but hey, then Rhaenyra's like, oh, she get... stowed a stable head. We need to fight for her. It's like, what? Right. Says so the person is... who let the right. high towers go goes the total other way. Right. Yeah. She goes the total other way. And that's why and I kind of saw that, you know, they're like, next time on House of the Dragon, Rhaenys sort of thinks about not being on Rhaenyra's side, but totally is on Rhaenyra's side. It's like you could tell that it's already. Like you grew up with Rhaenyra so your whole the life, end of the episode, You knew what kind of person she was. That's like, I don't know. I mean, and granted, like, Rhaenyra, but... they are probably responsible for the death of all of her kids. So you think someone kills well, all your kids. Thinks... I mean, one of them, they just died in childhood. Came up with a scheme, so... No, and one of them, he, they came up with a scheme where he could just leave and go live his, but live his best life. But Renice doesn't you know? know that. Renice thinks she's dead. Yeah, she doesn't know that. Yeah, I know, I know. And she, yeah. It's like, so, my, I mean, my son is found dead and is shoved in a campfire, and I'm not going to... And then immediately, the two, like, my niece and, and uh, I don't know her relation to Damon, they, they brother, they get married. Like, right? Cousin. Cousin, like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, she's got to be at least a little suspicious. She should. Yeah. And I think the reason it doesn't land is because she just goes and sides with Rhaenyra right Right. after. And and she tries and and gives her reasoning of like, oh, she's so level headed in that boardroom right now. I'm so impressed. It's like, what? 
What? This boardroom? Well, that's what I'm calling <laughs> it. Whatever. <laughs> their war room yeah. where they're like at the table, like, let's go to war. And she's like, we'll listen to terms. And this is the person she's willing to go to war for. Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's not. That's not the strongest moment for sure. Right. I'm being uh, hyperbolic doing. here. Like, it's fine presentation and all. But, man, I I think I've earned the right to be a little nitpicky here. The show's standards are so high that it's like, I don't know, to fall into that trope like you said, Dylan, of like, I'll kill all these people and then uh, show you mercy because I'm a good person. It's like, well, you did kill a lot of people. Let's be honest here. You're a murderer. You're a mass murderer. Yeah. Horrible. Agreed, Charles. Agreed. Innocent Uh, lives, too. At least Damon, like fights soldiers and criminals and stuff and uh, the occasional wife or two but um not like <laughs> hundreds two. of innocent people no no episode nine not not the strongest when you would compare it i think it's sandwiched you know, between, it's sandwiched between mm-hmm. the two maybe strongest episodes mm-hmm. of the whole season yeah, that's fair. so r- rough Rough, just a tough sitch just for a tough episode sitch. nine, and especially on the heels of of episode eight, which was just unbelievable. So, unbelievable. I mean, other things that uh, other things that kind of didn't work for me. I, the whole Kristen Cole thing, yeah, just, whatever on him. It's not doing it for me. Not just I also I just just like f Kristen Cole, Kristen Cole, trying to keep our our. <laughs> clean rating here on all our all your favorite uh, podcast apps but uh, you know you know what i want to say about chris and cole don't like him as a person at all he's just a horrible person i mean can we can we just say rest in peace to lord beesbury oh yeah who went out because he yeah he stood up in the middle of the <laughs> green council and he was like ah I actually am a loyal person, and Kristen Cole just walks up and just bangs his head. Yeah. It's like that was old dude. So was... annoying, and like unforgivable from Kristen Cole too. It's like how can you be that unhinged, bro, that you just murdered this guy? Like maybe that was yeah. part of the plan the whole time, like whatever. But yeah, he he he's kind of like the anti Jamie, where he starts a bit more idealistic mm-hmm. and unravels. Uh, compared to Jamie, who starts unraveled and becomes a bit more idealistic. Like, they're still both horrible people through and through. But, yeah, be poor Beesbury, for sure. All he was trying to do would be like, did we not forget that the king who just died wanted Rhaenyra to be queen? Like, what's the issue here? And that was a great line that Viserys said. He's like, why are we arguing about already settled secession? Or it's like, what is the issue here, guys? Like, Otto just keeps bringing this stuff up over and over and over. But I was, it was funny, I was watching some um, like live chats and live streams and stuff talking about the finale and people were putting the bee emoji in the chat. It's like bees in the chat, people. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah, for Beesbury, yeah. Oh, I'm glad people are... Because I, I was like, this is messed up. If we were live streaming right now, I'd be all like, bees in the chat, people. Bees in the chat. Bees in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, bees in the chat for Beesbury. I'm glad that... I'm glad he's getting he's getting the treatment that he deserves by the fan base, if not by Kristen Cole. And can we also like, why is this like Kristen Cole's thing is at like of 
I don't know, events that should be normal with no fighting. He just goes around bashing people's head heads yeah. in with no He's consequences. Like, weirdly repressed. like it's never Yeah. And it's never discussed how he got away with murdering uh uh poor Joffrey. Poor Joffrey. And before the time skip, they just he just beats his head in and it's never discussed why that was okay. <laughs> And why no one brings that up anymore. Yeah, and you think that... I also am like... The Valerians oh, would have you, taken issue with that. It's like, bro, you just murdered you my guest <laughs> in your own hall right. for doing nothing? <laughs> like, what is the issue here? Yeah. Uh, and and also, the guy, the guy doesn't age at all during yeah, any of great. this. Which I understand he's not the only... He's not the only one who sort of doesn't age like Damon, I think, as well, but at least he like changes his hairstyle. She yeah. gets some sense that this guy, like something's happening. If you looked at Kristen Cole every episode, says, this guy has not changed a bit. So I'm just like anti Kristen Cole. That's my I just don't I don't like the guy. I don't like the way the character is being written. And Beesbury deserves justice. Bees in the chat, people. I agree. I don't like Sir Kristen Cole one bit. He was always just kind of whiny and annoying, whether he was being like the cute boy toy or now he's being the edgelord, like weirdo, like <laughs> incel guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the vibes I get. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this. Oh, yeah. Well, he's like sexist and then he's just weird. Like, he, he dropped some words I can't say to maintain that clean rating on all of your favorite podcasting apps. Mm-hmm. But. He's dropped some of those about Rhaenyra, like first episode after the time skip, and then Aemon is saying something about uh, like uh, about women when they're searching for Aegon, and he's like, "All women are made in the mold of the mother and should be like treated as such." It's like, dude, you're hypocrite, piece of crap, murderer, piece of crap, murderer. Um, Yeah, he just like can't keep himself in check. It's like, you know, no respect for Kristen Cole, that's for sure. No respect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so many other respectable characters, oh, though. Larry Strong. Larry Strong is the other. Oh, you want to go to respectable Wait, what about Larry Strong? I don't want to. Oh, let's go. This Another let's character that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of, Laris. He's, hmm. and, I mean, I don't know. This is something that kind of came to mind for me watching some of the episodes of house of the dragon where it felt like there there are a few things just done for shock value still mm-hmm. which i feel like we should be past by now i'm and i'm talking laris foot fetish is like was that necessary yeah let us uh, does that really add anything like i think that's in there i think that also the completely unaddressed Aegon, like you know, uh, I don't know what I can and can't say on the podcast here, but you know, taking care of himself in <laughs> at like, the window. In the window, <laughs> I was like, "What is that moment?" Uh, and there are a few others. Honestly, I'm also like, "Can we can we stop with all the violent birthing scenes?" By the last episode, I was like, "That's enough." That last one was too much. That me. last one was a lot. Um, yeah, very visceral. Like the her like birthing herself like. And the blood everywhere, and then the like showing the thing over and over again is like, uh, I don't know. That was 
that was too much for me. And I also don't know what they were trying to say with it. Yeah, and they like, like kept felt a little cutting bit. Like, to her dragon. I'm like, what? Is, what am I supposed to, like? Yeah. That's the one case where I wish that people would tell me what to think because I'm like, what am I supposed to think? Well, they were when I see that it. was in the end of the episode, and it still made no sense because they're like, yeah, uh, the showrunner kept saying the word battlefield he was like i want it to be a battle like a battlefield and it's like <laughs> the person they were the talking dragon, to like though? why is the dragon there i don't know it was it was just about the like i don't know i i don't understand it either i just, just feel like, like after the show they were it was just like being violent i don't know point being it didn't make any sense i don't know what they were trying to say too because it's like the it's almost like it seemed like it was supposed to be in contrast to all the women who died during childbirth. And then it's like, look how strong Rhaenyra is because she didn't die during childbirth. And it's like, that does not make all those other women, like, weak. No. Or something that, like, makes Rhaenyra, like, stronger or more resilient than them. Like, that's that's just a messed up I thing that happened to them. how you could maybe go there. And I don't think like, that was the intention. I The show is I know, but it, so not I know trying it's not the to intention, do that, though. But it doesn't. I know, but I know it's not the intention. But what is the intention? That is an excellent question. I mean, everything should be done with some intention. I'm sorry that I'm trying to read into things that are chosen to happen during a show and take up like huge portions of the finale. I know, I know. I'm just, I don't know. That bothered bothered me because it was gross. It was hard to watch. And I'm just like, it was enough. I'm not bothered by gross things, but I was watching this. I was like, part of me was like so what <laughs> like 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 so what I, Jeez, uh, takes a lot to move the needle for charles <laughs> he's watching I'm, well, i mean the, the majority like pour out of a 90 percent of me like was like fetus this is wild but the other part of me is like why like, why so is this what? happening like what is the point it, it, it didn't change rainier's character really at all it didn't change my opinion Agreed. of her character at all um it didn't change anything for me uh, it sucked. Like it seemed like Rhaenyra was in all uh, bad sorts, and it's kind of interesting to see the war room going on while she's not there trying to give birth. And for some, she's like, "I'm doing it myself." And you're like, "Okay, like, right. like doing doing what exactly?" And um, I don't know. It, it wasn't my favorite scene. <laughs> I agree with you there. <laughs> it's like, could that have been edited out for me? Sure. Um, because at least with the first one, like the C-section in episode one, as bloody and hard to watch and intense as that was, that said a lot about where Westeros is as a society, where Viserys is as like a decision maker and where his priorities are <laughs> and like where women stand, even the most noble of women stand in this society. Like at least that said a lot. Uh, this one, not nearly as impactful. Um but it's almost, I guess it's like a full circle thing, I guess. Like, right. We started. Bookends. There's your bookend right there. Yeah, but bookends are supposed to be meaningful. And <laughs> we're supposed to understand why they happen. <laughs> but sure, we got our bookends in, in some way. But we're near yeah, survived. Okay. I mean, and she did she it herself did with no man, and no help. Like yeah, Damon not really showing up in those no. moments for. Damon's like, hey, yeah, if it's not gonna work out, um, she'll just go to her dragon and get killed alive. I've seen it before. <laughs> right, <laughs> these things happen. These things happen. But... <laughs> yeah, right. 
so I guess that's I guess there's some progress to be made here where it was like where the queen at the time in episode one didn't get a choice and was killed to try and save this male baby like Rhaenyra was able to take control of it and have her own agency about it and was able to survive maybe you could argue that there's some sort of progression there um is it strong or worth showing on tv to 20 million people i would maybe argue the case no but i guess that's kind of where i'm coming from with it it's like like the queen in episode one she didn't know like what the maester like they were all talking on the side and she was getting all this help and she wasn't sure what was happening and then they just cut her open and ripped this baby out it's like whoa but in this one they're like let us help you and she's like no stay away and i got this and in some way this was Rhaenyra's biggest fear she never wanted to be married she never wanted to have kids and now here she is married twice with this is the sixth time she's given birth so in some ways, yeah, in some ways she got railroaded by society, but in other ways she's standing up for herself, well, I guess literally in this case, uh, giving birth. And um, I guess that's what we're supposed to glean from it. I guess there is some sort of agency and, and empowerment out of that, even though it is very tragic at the same time and hardcore. Like it, it is kind of like speaks to her like conviction and, her, her, I guess for lack of a better word, her power to be able to survive something like that. But yeah, like you said, it's it's sh- shaky ground. But yeah, and it goes back then to, oh, if she's so powerful that she can survive <laughs> that, what does that mean about the people who did it? Yeah, so, it's shaky ground. I, I mean, I'm not going to keep trying to try that. It's just when something, it's unclear why it's happening, you start looking for, okay, what are they trying to say? And none of the answers seem so great or interesting mm. <laughs> and I'll also <laughs> i'll also say Oof. yeah <laughs> take that showrunners <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure they're an hour and a half into our episode they care so much oh yeah they're crying right now <laughs> say <laughs> i don't think they made it past when you were like yeah I don't think he knows. I don't think. I wonder if he's seen any Hitchcock films because <laughs> yeah, no. I don't think he knows what that word means. I just picture the uh, showrunner in his brown leather jacket, like uh, that Woody Harrelson scene in um, Zombieland, where he dots his tears with wads of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah. Right. So. Um, anyway, that's a, that's enough on on the things that we're we're getting all critical about here. Maybe we can take uh, zoom out a bit and try to put a bow on this by talking about the the season overall. I think that I, I came out. And I, this is maybe the the tweet that you're referring to, mm-hmm. Charles, uh, or you referred to earlier, where you know where I stand. I just felt like this this whole season exceeded my expectations that uh, like coming in anything in my wildest imagination mm. of how much I would enjoy a Game of Thrones Thrones prequel. I, I was a little bit in Jon Snow mode around it after. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know where I'm going? I don't after. Want to. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After Game of Thrones season eight uh, was so tragically disappointing, I was a little, and then they were like, we're going to have a bazillion spinoff shows. I was a little bit like, I don't want it. <laughs> um, I don't want but it. I don't want it. My Ma- queen. My queen. But. <laughs> M-U-H. My queen. I, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, we got to just let things die. Mm-hmm. when they're over especially we don't want to keep resuscitating something that's gonna make it even worse and i felt that a little bit at the end of of season eight but so this is coming back and it'd been enough time where i was like okay i'm definitely gonna give it a shot i'm ready and i think that was a lot of people coming in they're like i'll give it a shot and i think they just they they blew me away mm. overall. I'm captivated. I'm interested. I want to know where this is going. I can't wait for season two. And I just was not expecting to have such a positive reaction to it. I thought I'd be a lot more mixed. And they didn't... I thought they might phone it in, right? honestly, with this show. I thought they might make it a cash grab. We know we can get Game of Thrones viewers to come back, enough of them to make some money. I didn't think they were going to make a show of this quality. So just, uh, you know, for all the crap we're giving the showrunners, because uh, we, we know they're listening. We know they've been <laughs> uh, dabbing at their eyes with all that cash money. Yeah. They they really did a phenomenal job to to bring so much life into this story and bring us back into the Game of Thrones universe in a way that mm-hmm. is so exciting. Couldn't agree more, Dylan. To me... There was so much kind of stacked against this. It's like a Game of Thrones spinoff all these years later after the fans have a sour taste in their mouth. Like, no one asked for this show, you know? (laughs) No one asked for it. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) here it is. And I'm just so impressed by how much they were able to accomplish. It's not easy to make a show like this like how many times have we seen it even in like like take Star Wars for example they make a million spin-off shows some are great successes some are misses and like the creativity of trying to make a prequel while still having a fresh original story and and new characters with the pressure of inserting famous characters like that weighs heavy on a production and this show is able to go right past that you have something like the lord of the rings show which is another hot property all the money in the world thrown at it to make this beautiful looking show but still totally eclipsed in terms of characters and performance and writing of of this show so it's like you could have all the money in the world and still make a lukewarm show you could have all of the intellectual property please don't say luke right now Charles. <laughs> i mean a little too soon especially lukewarm mm. at least i mean at least he didn't die by dragon fire then it would have been in yeah. really poor taste to say lukewarm that would have so. been an amazing joke though if only i got such a setup right but um yeah yeah and then to speak about luke i'm also talking about star wars too it's like you'd have the greatest ip in the world and still mess it up so nothing was guaranteed for this show at all and i'm sure the vegas odds were stacked against it for some from a lot of the fans anyway and yet they were able to deliver like just a really great show like sure it's not without some of the things i roll my eyes at with like over explaining metaphors and trying to give heroic moments to characters that have 
that make you kind of think twice. But for the most part, like they really, I love that they stuck intimately with these characters and they weren't afraid to make these risky let's i think they're very risky choices of time skipping and recasting in the in one season like not even like from season one to two like within the first season you're you're doing all of this and um it was a huge accomplishment i don't know how they pulled it off but i'm very impressed and i'm very happy for it and i'm very appreciative for it because i love game of thrones i love the world of Westeros and no one's really been interested in having that conversation for years now since Game of Thrones ended and to like have it be at the front of the conversation again is super exciting and I was watching a live stream the other day and people were talking about all these different characters and you realize how complex the relationships they've built in this season really are and how vast like the family trees go and the political intrigues go and it's such a strong foundation for this show i think it's going to continue to knock it out of the park in season two and i'm looking forward to it i'm very excited and i'm like do we read fire and blood now like is that something we do in preparation for season two i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind at all yeah, we got I think about it, you know, I really like seeing stuff for the first time in the form of, of a show. Hmm. Like that moment with what really drove that home for me was the Luke Suspense. Moment, I think at the end. Yeah, where it's like, you know, I too was like, this, he's going to go. He's going to go. And this is going to be the thing that really kicks off the war. Hmm. But they did kind of take me a little bit for a ride. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, they did, like, they did. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I was like, he's got to die now or it's a cop-out. That's how I felt right. when they set that whole thing up. I was like, he's really going to escape, and it's going to be like, oh, God, this season ends with, that was a close one. <laughs> I was like, they got to seal the deal here. So, yeah, it's one of those weird moments where like you like a character and you're rooting for them to live because you like them but you're also from a writing perspective and an entertainment perspective you're kind of rooting for the show to have the willingness to to make it happen to just end it and obviously they're drawing from that source material of fire and blood uh so they were always gonna do it but i like the idea for me anyway of being like uh, witnessing these things in front of me visually and especially because fire and blood is written like a historical account mm-hmm. i just don't think you get those exciting moments the no. way that you get it i i could be wrong you know reach out to us if you've read fire and blood and you find it just as exciting but reading this like inscription of hey this event happened historically and that set off the war yeah to me that's Eamon killed Luke, but then you get scene. the subtleties of the accident and like the the yeah. fight scene and like oh maybe he got away you know like that i agree i agree so i don't know it's a fine line we'll have to try and walk i mean i after the first season of game of thrones aired i read all the books at the time i don't regret it at all uh, maybe it's different in this case because it's not like a story narrative as much as it is like a yeah. historical uh, record so i don't know um but i think it's worth looking into at least like like you said i don't want the show ruined because i read factually like aim and kills luke and i'm like oh well now i know but i don't know i don't know we'll, we'll have to think about it but for now the show's given us a lot to talk about we are maxing out on time is there anything else we want to say before we play that sweet sweet outro music 
Bees in the chat. Bees in the chat. Bees in the chat. chat. Well said. (laughs) But let's get that sweet, sweet outro music buzzing, Charles. (laughs) Oh, let's get that music (laughs) buzzing. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, if you want to see what all the buzz is about... Feel free to follow oh, us no, over they're... on social media. That's at the FTF podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter and at the FTF podcast on Instagram. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today, they follow us on social media and they want to support the show even further. What can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can now do on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Over half of you are listening on Spotify. It's just two clicks to throw us those five stars. So if you're enjoying all our discussions here, that's a wonderful thing to do. And you can even write a review alongside that rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be incredible it helps people find our show and see what we're about but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that thank you all so so much for listening we greatly appreciate it you all the best and as always go forth and conquer friends